This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian, tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things but at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Shouldn't you be at work? It's a lovely chip! Oh, it's a brilliant goal from Lord Bohinen! Still it's not away. Southgate shot. Milosevic scores. DPR could do with a bit of magic from him. Maybe this is it. It is! Andy Sinton from nothing. Brian Roy has headed for his interlead. Whelan. Oh, what a goal from Noel Whelan. No power on it whatsoever. But Taibbi has made a horrendous error. Now, you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, he hasn't. No. Hello and welcome back to Quickly Kevin. Will he score? We're here with another episode. I'm Chris Gold and joining me as always, Josh Whittacombe. Hello. And fresh from buying a wet, wet, wet sponsored Clyde's Bank shirt on eBay, as well as a dodgy Marty Pello wig, it's Michael Mard. Hello. We're recording this tonight, and the world is reacting to some very sad 90s football news. So shall we change the running order and go straight into the 90s club news? Yes. Headquarters of ITN News at 10 with Chris Scull. Diego Maradona has died at the age of 60, and the football world lends its tributes, led by mourner in chief Paul Walsh. <laughs> Actually, and finally, I've just seen Mick Quinn's Twitter bio, and he's putting it weakest link winner. <laughs> I just clicked on for that's I've just done that on the hoop. Sorry, that, that wasn't I'd even say, the last minute is some of the worst news coverage I've ever heard in my life. Do you want more? Genuinely want... shambolic. Imagine that if on the news, Hugh Edwards uh, he announces that Rishi Sunak has said the economy has shrunk for twelve percent. And also I've just seen Mick Quinn's Twitter bio. <laughs> <laughs> He's barely weakest link winner. <laughs> I don't even think that the weakest link would have overlapped with Twitter. 
That is no, but that is the equivalent of Hugh Edwards just deciding in the spur of the moment to make up, just decide what the news agenda is. What's the film where the guy, Michael, you'll know this, the newsreader just loses it because he's so angry. Network. Network. This, this was Skull's network. <laughs> <laughs> a very, very minor breakdown right at the end. Can I read you Mick Quinn's full Twitter bio, please? Yeah. Because uh, I was just on Paul Walsh's uh, Twitter just to see what, what he's saying. And as I clicked on it, it said underneath follow similar people. And Mick Quinn's the top one. So that's why the bio caught my eye just as I was doing the headlines. <laughs> so it goes, three-time Golden Boot winner, racehorse trainer. Sure. So far, so good. TV and radio presenter. Okay. Fit Club winner. <laughs> that televised or just... Yeah, Celebrity Fit Club. Weakest Link winner. CDWM chef. And then more stuff on my Insta, Mighty Quinn 1089. 1089, he hasn't done amazingly on that. <laughs> um, so can I just also add, because I, I also uh, got obsessed with someone's Twitter bio uh, due to the fact that I was reading what old footballers had or hadn't said about Diego Maradona. And Peter Shilton has, on his Twitter bio, has for all inquiries and then just a mobile number. <laughs> <laughs> have we got access to Schultz's mob? Well, should we call him live on air? No, and see I if don't he's think we should. I don't think I want that on my conscience. He's he's very big, and as we've discussed before, he's got a un, unbelievably long reach. So even where, <laughs> yeah, but he never gets you in time. <laughs> I was about to say it could be another Saxgate, but I don't think Shilton has the level of public sympathy that Andrew Sachs did. <laughs> We could, we, we, if it was Saxgate, we'd come out of it the heroes. Also, we should say before we get back to the 90s o'clock news, and I mean this very seriously, if you have any other Twitter buyers of 90s footballers, we'd be very interested to hear about them. The usual address, hello at quicklykevin.com. Now, in all seriousness, um, I was far more affected by the death of Diego Maradona than I am normally by famous people that you haven't met. Do you know what I mean? I've, I found it very um, shocking, even though it's in a way the least shocking person that could die because mm-hmm. obviously of the lifestyle he led. And I, I can't pay no greater compliment to him than if I had the option, I wouldn't even consider changing the scoreline or any of the events of the World Cup quarterfinal in 1986 yeah. because I would much prefer Maradona to have scored those two goals than England to have got to the semi-final of the World Cup. The fact he scored them past Shilton makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> He's such an enigma. It's weird. I was saying just before we came on air that Maradona is one of those people that, you know, he's not known for being a nice guy. But you feel so much love for him. For all his flaws, he's such a magnetic personality and you want him to succeed whatever he did in life. I think you like him because of his flaws, not despite his flaws. I think there's no one more exciting than a a flawed genius in sport. Who do you prefer, Skull? Ronnie O'Sullivan or Stephen Hendry? (laughs) (laughs) Obviously O'Sullivan. Yeah, do you know what I mean? I was thinking um, everyone was just sharing pictures tonight of Maradona that they absolutely loved. And a bit tongue-in-cheek, but my favorite, honestly, my favorite picture of him is him swearing at the World Cup. You know, is it Argentina, Nigeria, when they they score a lot, Argentina get a last-minute equaliser or a winner, and he's giving the finger to the Nigeria fans underneath him. And you're just like, that passion, he lived his life the absolute extreme, didn't he? Like the limit of human endurance in many, many different respects. And, and and that passion, I think, is why we as fans just are so drawn to him. Totally. I, I can't imagine, you know, 
a footballer who's lived a, a more different life from me, but one who you can identify with as a human being, as a flawed human being. There's like so many images. I, there's, it feels like there's more iconic images. That image of him holding the World Cup, the one of him with the five Belgium, def- six Belgium defenders, the ones of him, I mean, just the one of the, the classic one of him jump, out jumping Shilton, all that Napoli stuff. Just the pitches are so bad. It all looks so, it's so rough. I mean, the really the best thing, if you're going to seek anything out, is him juggling the ball before the semi-final of the UEFA Cup in 1989. That's just the best two minutes isn't it? It's just footage ever, I think. The skill he had is just incredible. Oh, Michael, man. I suppose we do need a kind of devil's advocate here. You didn't like him, did you? Oh, I hate him. <laughs> Glad he's dead. <laughs> obviously i'm joking but we we were talking about it beforehand um how it's sort of it's not often that you in your formative years you get to see one of the greatest at a certain thing you know there's people like Pele, there's people like muhammad ali who you know they were great you know their legacy you know they changed the landscape of that sport but they weren't around when you were learning to love it and maradona for me you know 90 the shadow of 86 into 90 and onwards you know he was this sort of enigma he was this sort of devil he was this person who you weren't supposed to like but the moment he had a ball at his feet you couldn't not love him yeah totally we were saying as well like Pele. i just i could never really connect with Pele. I can ne- never really kind of establish him in my mind as a, as a, a great player. I know he is because of the stories, but I can't find many clips of him. Watched like, a whole movie doing, what- <laughs> <laughs> of course. But Mar- Maradona, it, for me, feels like the first superstar of, of world football. Like it was a name that is kind of ingrained in your consciousness as soon as you start loving the game. Totally. In a way that no one else is around that that era. Maybe the, maybe the exception of George. I Best. think. I, but the first thing that got me properly into football was collecting the World Cup '90 sticker album, the Orbis one, which we've talked about probably too many times. But there's an image, maybe on the front of that, but just that seemed to be the image we used most in promoting the 1990 World Cup. Because obviously, the image they will always use is from the previous one, which is of Maradona holding the trophy, kissing it. And he's got what must be confetti in his hair. And so his hair is kind of sparkling. And in those days, you weren't... I know this, I sound like such an old person, but you weren't given the fucking trophy on a pre-built plinth with fireworks going off with the sponsors behind. It seems like in 1986... They were just in the crowd receiving the world. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like he'd done a pack yeah. cash. Like it, <laughs> it's just so much more. Everything about Maradona's career in the eighties and nineties is so much more kind of visceral and purely kind of emotional than it feels you could ever get to Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo. I think Lionel Messi is. I mean, I know he hasn't really delivered at international level. I mean, that's not the kind of thing we discuss on here. But, like, um, I'm sure he's a better player than Diego Maradona, or at least a more effective, reliable player. But there's only one player out of those two that I feel an emotional connection to. Yeah. And I think you kind of touched on it there, but just relatable. Like, that Maradona documentary, which I think we should definitely do a watch-along for in tribute to Diego – but he's, these footballers now, you don't feel like they have normal lives from a very early age. They feel totally disconnected to you as a fan. But there was something about Maradona, and you really come through in that Napoli documentary, that he feels part of the community. He feels 
part of that culture, that mm. football culture. And he became a fan in later life too. I mean, you just need to see some of the footage of him watching Boca Juniors games. Like there, there didn't seem to be a gap between Maradona, the world famous superstar footballer, and Maradona, the man and the the football fan. He was he was someone that fans could relate to, and you, you knew what was kind of going on in his life, and it, you knew he had similar life experiences to you. And in a way that the, the way the money is coming to the game has changed that, and almost disconnected fans from the players of today. Totally. Um, so Paul Walsh, the football world is in mourning. I think what's interesting about Paul Walsh's things is it's not that he sends out these tweets, but it's just he doesn't tweet anything else. Joe, you know but we were recording this at half eight, and, and so Maradona it was announced he died around six o'clock, and I was constantly refreshing my Twitter feed, Paul Walsh's Twitter feed, hoping they would have a Paul Walsh reaction to this sad news. And guess what? We've got two. So the first one, Maradona, R.I.P. You are unbelievable. So sad that you passed too soon. And then nine minutes later, Maradona, the best players my generation by a mile is a real shame at the young age of 60 that he has passed, R.I.B. Maradona. Obviously, he wasn't happy with the first one, so he's remixed it slightly for the second. <laughs> now, um, obviously, uh, we've got loads of correspondence to get through. I should say, so much long throw stuff. We will come to so much of it. We've got details about grounds. What I just wanted to touch on, if I, if I had a chance to say one email, I don't want to get too far into uh the long throw stuff but i do feel who's the uh who's the king of the long throw guys andy arm andy arm correct so i'm gonna uh, just send you uh, do you know what andy leg looks like no yeah um i'm gonna send you a photo of him and uh you will it, it'll blow your mind the context oh describe what i've just said is that you. right oh my god so he's he's on the cover of fifa 96 Andy Legg is one of the two players featured on the cover of FIFA 96. What? Do you know what? As soon as I saw that image, I recognised it instantly. So this is from Stuart Laurie. Not sure if this has already been pointed out, but Andy Legg somehow managed to get on the cover of FIFA 96. What? Is that right? Hang on. So the picture now, you know now it's like Mbappe or whoever. Turns out the picture was yeah. uh, Notts County versus Brescia in the 1994 Anglo-Italian Cup final. And it's basically Andy Legg sliding into a tackle on an Italian player or a player playing for Brescia. And they've chosen it presumably purely because it's a great, it's a really good action photo. So they haven't gone with a, a star. They've just Remarkable. gone with Andy Legg and some unnamed Brescia player. <laughs> That will never happen again, is it? FIFA, they're not going to drop down the, the leagues to, to get a good shot. Do you know what? I'd like we should, this long throw for Hall of Fame, which we will add to. If someone could, um, ideally on the uh, on the forum, if you could, if someone would love to just go back through who we've mentioned and make a nice list of it, so we've got a Hall of Fame. I, I know, I know what we need. We need a starting eleven, but every player in that starting eleven needs a peculiar, exceptional ability. So. Andy oh, okay. Legg would be in there because he's got amazing throw-ins. Schillevert could be in goal because he's taking penalties and free kicks. Does Mark Hughes qualify because he's the best at Good the at volleys. Yep. Here we, look, we're three players in. That is a great topic for someone to yep. start up on the forum. Special moves. We'll have a look at that next week. And actually, speaking of the forum, it's really kicking off over there. So this is a forum that any Patreon member of any level gets to be a part of, um, which we started as a bit of fun, and I'm not going to lie. I unsubscribed from The Athletic this week. <laughs> Because this is genuinely, and we occasionally go on it ourselves, but like, I I genuinely, I love reading it. I thought, oh, this will peter out, won't it? And it's only going from strength to strength. I'll just read you, you know, the list of uh, some of the, uh, the topics. Odd shirt swaps, 
I mean, yes, please. <laughs> 90s footballers' sons who are footballers. 38 messages on that. <laughs> Players synonymous with a region. Oh, yes, please. Recommended podcasts. We need to delete that one. <laughs> we need to delete that one ASAP. There's also a never-ending 90s football quiz where whoever gets it right sets another one. And there's been 393 messages on that. There is a message about a video of Rob McCaffrey from Sky Sports that we will definitely use on the show. I think what we're going to do is we're going to have to get through this correspondence some way in our break somehow. But um, you wanted to draw attention to a particular thread on the forum, didn't you, Scott? Yeah, there's there's one that such – I mean, this is such a good idea. Someone uh, Alex Jennings has started a thread called Ex-Football Players Who Are on Spotify. And so he's found – Rude Hullet is an artist on Spotify getting 234 oh, wow. monthly listens. I'll have to check out what he's got. <laughs> Less than Paul McGrath. I guess it again. Yeah, I'd hope so. And thank you to Ronnie Morg's guns, found a few more. Jimmy Greaves is Ronnie Moje, should I just say. Ronnie oh, Moje's gun. Ronnie Moje. Ronnie Moje was a Plymouth Argyle midfielder who scored the winning goal in uh, the playoff final in 1996. There you go. And then I think was cleared of some kind of possession of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Remarkable. Uh, well, anyway, he's pointed out a few more on Spotify. Jimmy Greaves is there. Glenn Hoddle. Oh. Kevin oh, wow. Keegan is an artist on Spotify. And lastly, Franz Beckenbauer. Wow. There you go. Some hot new artists to add to your playlist over on Spotify. There we go. There we go. Um, get involved. And can we just read one more? Can I just read this out? Can we read the links? Because we did mention this on the show. Uh, the uh, players that you can't believe played together. So they've actually, on the forum, taken a, a different approach. So they've got a middle player that links two players you can't believe played together. For instance, uh, very apt, Norberto Solano played with Diego Maradona and Tim Krul. So here's some good ones. Um, John Barnes played against Alan Ball, but also played with Scott Parker. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> that's insane, isn't it? That's great. Um John Burridge, uh, John Burridge had a very long career. He played with Jimmy Armfield and Gary Flickcroft. <laughs> That's so <laughs> isn't it? Steve Agrizovich was in the same Liverpool side as Tommy Smith and the same Coventry side as Robbie Keane. Wow. Mad. It's mad, isn't it? Um, but this will blow your mind. This is a three. Alan Ball. I can't even believe this first link. Alan Ball played with Keith Curl, <laughs> who played with Phil Jagielka. That's great, isn't it? So that's Alan Ball. Phil Jagielka, still a current player, is linked by Keith Curl yeah. to Alan Ball, 1966 World Cup winner. That's so good, isn't Brian it? Brian Robson, according to Lionel Perez, presumably the real one, played with Jeff Hurst and David Beckham. That's maybe my favourite. That's my favourite, I think. Is that your favourite? Yeah, Brian Robson playing with Jeff Hurst Because it's David sort of Beckham? three, all three are kind of icons. Sorry, are you aware of John Burridge? <laughs> Um, so do send those in if you've got them Um, go onto the forum it's absolutely brilliant also it's that time of the month again it's that time of the month again there is a new episode out on Patreon this week Michael what is it it is of course chapter 3 of our word by word read through of Steve Barnes slash Bruce's striker can we have a little few minutes taster Hello and welcome to Chapter 3 of Striker. We are back again, the, the full chapter-by-chapter chapter review of the infamous Steve Bruce novel. I'm Chris Scott. Joining me, Josh Whittacombe. Hello. 
Michael Marden is back. Hello. And so is our resident literary expert, Ivo Graham. Hello, Chris. Um, now, uh, on the uh, forum, which uh, we have, if you haven't taken part, it's genuinely a great read. I'm really enjoying it. And lovely spirit about it, I think. Lovely spirit. Yeah. Really nice. So um, I particularly enjoy the endless 90s football quiz, which you'd love, Ivo. Go on. So they're all on it. Uh, and one of them asks a question. Whoever gets it right then asks the next question. It passes on and there's a running score. Right. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Really nice. There's a thread called Steve Barnes the Movie started by James E-Y-F-S. So he suggests, because obviously Steve Bruce is too old to play Steve Barnes. Right. He mm. suggests Lee Ryan from Blue, which I don't think is a good <laughs> suggestion. Uh, that's a bit rogue. Danny T says a young Robson Green would be an excellent choice. Oh, uh, yeah. Lovely. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, Robson Green. That's really nice. Yeah. So Elwood Red. So I've thought about this, and I don't think it should be a straight Steve Barnes movie, he says. I think it should be a movie about Steve Bruce writing the books, showing his creative process. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like adaptation. But then a real murder happens, and everyone says, right, Brucey, he wrote a book about this sort of thing. Steve Bruce is playing Steve Bruce, who's writing Striker, and then a murder happens. So it's a slight, it's a different type of yeah. film. It is a different type. Come back, Lee Ryan, all is forgiven, I think. <laughs> <laughs> James EYFS replies, I like the idea of Steve Bruce being the narrator that top and tails each film in the trilogy. We open Steve Bruce as Steve Barnes walks out of the training ground. He gets in, of course, into his Jaguar E-Pace. Steve moves with the times. He settles in for the drive home. He looks in the rearview mirror, breaking the fourth wall. Voiceover starts. That's it. My last day. I'm retired now. 50 long years at the top of British and European soccer. (laughs) I want to tell you all about my career. The highs, the lows, and the murders. We zoom in to Steve's eyes as music vaguely reminiscent of the bill plays. We pull out to a young Steve, Lee Ryan, driving his (laughs) XJ8 over the Pennines. (laughs) I love that he's got Lee Ryan back in. (laughs) I'd I'd love to expand the casting. I'd love to sort of, I'm going to go on there and suggest this, but the entire ensemble from the uh, the novels, who who, who would you pick? Who are you casting for? Carberry, for Julie, for all of those people? I might put another ask into the forum. If you were to develop a whole subplot as in it, like another franchise, oh, what like like Joey, like yeah, Frasier, yeah, like Joey, yeah, <laughs> Julie, like <Frasier>. Julie. Julie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think we've found the winner, but maybe there no, is I think I'd have Carberry in prison, and he's managing the prison football team. Yeah. Oh, um, what do you yeah. think of that? That's a bit, good. Of, yes. bit of a spoiler there, but. Um, <laughs> 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 oh, the, the Duffy prequel. The Duffy prequel. That would be a sad film. Wouldn't yeah. It? yeah. Mm. Like Duffy growing up in Ireland. I know, loaded with like sort of horrible moments of dramatic irony where someone <laughs> says, You'll remember this when you're an old man. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> brought me down. I'd watch a sort of uh, gritty Ken Loach style kitchen sink drama with those two brassy sex workers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, darling. Right. So uh, we enter chapter three. Uh, Steve. Barnes has just been grilled by the police and Sir Lawrence has then stormed in at the end. And we begin chapter three. It took several hours to get matters sorted. Never in my life, either as a player or manager, have I answered so many questions in such a short time. Mm, Okay. Yeah, he's really bad at his um, driving theory test. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> just kept timing What's out. That? Your driving theory test is 30 questions in about There's, five minutes. Yeah. There's no way that Barnes hadn't passed before the introduction of the theory test. That's true. <laughs> Barnes, Barnes would have passed at 17, 100%. After Sir Lawrence, the two detectives gave me a grilling. They said there was no question at that stage of my being charged with murder or anything else. They needed to question others. Did Pat Duffy have any arguments with the players or members of staff? Chief Inspector Shannon asked. He was a quiet lad, newly arrived from Ireland. Which part of Ireland? The South. He was brought up on a farm. Did he threaten anyone? Sergeant Widdison asked. He isn't that kind of lad, I insisted. I was referring to Duffy as if he was still alive. His death, well, it hadn't sunk in yet. I mean, we've got that because he's barely spoken about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, That's he's why he's able to breeze through this situation <laughs> so easily. It wasn't mentioned once in Chapter 2. But Do we think there's an element that we think we're giving Bruce a disservice and he's actually writing Barnes as someone who's in shock and unable to focus on the murder. So he's focusing on whether his wife's bought enough chamomile tea. Yeah. <laughs> I think that um, there's a certain tenderness to him knowing you know, a bit about Duffy's backstory and about growing up on a farm in... Admittedly, the quite sort of general the south of Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think he comes across quite sweet there? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, more than normal, yeah. I like that. His death well it hadn't sunk in yet. Yeah, I liked it. Nor, for that matter, had my situation seeped through to my brain. The police might be reassuring and polite, and Sir Lawrence might earlier have loudly protested my innocence, but the fact remained that I'd been with Duffy earlier in the morning, and I'd been caught with the knife in my hand. I could imagine the pleasure that Eddie Carberry would get from his version of events. Carberry spelt C-A-R-B-E-R-R-Y. Carberry. I thought it was Carbury. Yeah, like B-U-R-Y. Michael Carberry, the um, yes. England cricketer, was spelt, spelt yeah. differently. Unusual. Um, <laughs> of course, this is the first time This is the first it. time I've actually seen his name <laughs> spelled out on the text. You're gonna, it's going to blow your mind when you read Harry Potter. <laughs> 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 Any other reactions, Chris? Is it in the font you imagined it would be? <laughs> that was Steve Barnes's Striker, Chapter 3. It's genuinely uh, such a joy to do. Um, thank you to Ivo Graham. If you want to access that, all you need to do is become an XJ8 member on Patreon. Now, you're very excited about today's guest, aren't you, Chris? I there's many moments of making this podcast where you meet someone who's played such a massive role in your childhood, and I absolutely love Bob Mills in Bedroom at Dinner. And then it's always kind of been a dream for us to get him on here and to have him talk about Leighton Orient. And suddenly, here we are. It's a brilliant interview. I absolutely loved it. I could listen to Bob Mills forever, but instead, it's about forty-five minutes, and here it is. Today's guest is a legend of UK comedy, one of my favourite stand-up comedians, the host of the iconic In Bed With Medina, fighting talk champion of champions, but most importantly for us, Leighton Orient fan. Please welcome to Quickly Kevin, Bob Mills. Hello. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm very good. Very good. Okay. You've got, have you got more intro to do or do I have to do my disclaimer first? <laughs> do your disclaimer first. We've got no okay. more intro. I, I was once taken aside uh, at the Orient. Yeah, I'd been on a, I'd been on something Charlie Big Potatoes a TV thing, and I sort of talked about being uh, late in Orient, and somebody said you're the, the celebrity fan, and they took me aside, a couple of my boys that I sat with, and said, right, firstly, Julian Lloyd Webber is our celebrity fan. <laughs> 
And secondly, Daniel Mays is coming up in the world as he is now, of course. <laughs> yeah. So I'm now not. I'm now moved down to third place. Oh. Uh, and also, they say you. You know, you have to be honest about it. Yes, you're a late Orient fan. Let, let me say this, okay? Because this sums football up. If I was to tell you, for instance. Uh, 30 years ago, I got married, met a girl out of school, and we got married and we had a kid, and we were very happy and we loved each other, and, and, and life was fine. But then life changes as you go through it, and it wasn't working out, and we went our separate ways. And I have a happy relationship with my child from that marriage, but I have since married again and have some more children. You wouldn't think any the less of me, would you? No. no. You just think that was my That's life. life. That's yeah. life. Yeah. In fact, it's a journey. In fact, that isn't my life. I got married 36 years ago and have been married the same one ever since. However, if I told you that in my life I had passionately supported two different footballs. Oh, here we go. 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 <laughs> I wonder where this is So Leighton Orient's established. Who's the other one? I, well, I was born in Chester, so I grew up watching Chester. Right. But then when I was 16, I moved on my own from, from Chester to London. And I couldn't keep, you know, I didn't have any money to go back and forward to watch. So I spent about five years wherever I was working who, or whatever friends had going with football to them. So I went to the Arsenal for a couple of seasons. I went to QPR. I went to Crystal Palace, depending, without ever feeling part of it. Mm. And it was about 19, I came to London in 57, 67, 73. It was about 1978 that I actually discovered Orient by chance and then they became my adopted team. But forever at Brisbane Road, I'm known as a ground upper. <laughs> <laughs> what was it about Orient? What made you decide they're the club for you? Uh, it's an absolutely specific thing. I'd done some extra work and I'd gone to an agency called SAM, uh, Studio Artist Management, to pick up my cheque. And it was a Saturday and I kept, they were on the corner of Markhouse Road and Leabridge Road. And I got, went inside, got my cheque and I came out and it was about two o'clock and I saw a crocodile of men walking along the road with no real hope about them. No real, no sense of excitement. Not like, oh, we're going to Ivory. Oh, yeah, we got Liverpool. They were just going to the football. <laughs> and I literally latched onto the back of them and followed them. Oh, wow. And walked in the ground and thought, yeah, here I am. Because I, I truly believe that some people are born to support lower league football. Yeah. Yeah. What was the ground like in those days? Yeah, it was all right. <laughs> it was... <laughs> We stood on the terraces behind the goal. There was there was one stand. I'm not that old. The children weren't being lifted over people's shoulders. <laughs> onto the, you know, you still, you still paid your money and bought your programme. And, 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 I believe Bovril had gone out of fashion by then. But it, it was, it was I, I'll tell you what it is. It's I've been to a wonderful football stadium over the years, but I've never, ever felt actually part of it. I've always mm. felt like... Especially if, if you, I don't know if you've ever been to Old Trafford. I went to some people I was working at Grodd and some people invited me to Old Trafford. They, had a, they were playing Valencia or someone in the cup and it was in the European game. And their, their tickets were in the, the very top stand. And I honestly felt like I was watching 70,000 people watching a football match. Yeah. You know, if you go and see you know, Bob Dylan or someone like that at, at the O2 Centre, yeah, it's, it's how you feel. You don't really feel part yeah. of it. You're there, and it's nice to say, "Oh, yeah, I went to this thing." But you never ever pop. Whereas at, you know, uh, Chester when I was growing up, and at the Orient and any lower league ground, 
Because now there's a, there are no fans in, and people say, oh, it's a really weird atmosphere. You can hear the coaches shouting. We're like, why, when couldn't you? <laughs> we've, always, we've always heard Barry Fry screaming at people. <laughs> So it is. It's. It's. So that's that's my disclaimer. I can never really, in case anyone sees no, it, go. No, of course. Yeah. He's at it again. Oi, Mills, he's at it again. <laughs> Claiming to be one of us, the Mockney. We'll put we'll put Chester City in brackets after. <laughs> Do you still feel a fondness for Chester City? Um, well, I, yeah, I kind of look at their results. They're very different. They're, they're a completely different organization. Organization, obviously. When I'm when I started supporting them, they were completely different, and they've since gone out of business. And and the, mm. the new Chester, who I'm very fond of because I, I like Phoenix teams. Yeah, uh, you know, and they play at complete. The old stadium's gone, and 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 Gary Talbot died last year. The last one of the great. Chester famous five, five, mm. uh, five forwards who scored, I think, over 100 <laughs> goals between them one season. Oh, wow. It's all shared around. But anyway. That's so, okay, so technically, you've had three teams given that Chester's come again. And a court of law would have to find more than two clubs. <laughs> we find, sir, that you are something of a serial monogamy. <laughs> <laughs> The football fan, I love the Freemasonry of football fans. I've got, right now, okay, I've got a group of 10 guys that I know that my son has grown up with. My son's a man now with a job and a house, but he grew up as a kid with these with these guys all standing around him and they know him and they know about his love life and everything. And yet, I don't know their second names. <laughs> I know them by their nickname. To me, they are Silent Peter, Beardy Steve with no beard. <laughs> Stand up, brother. Sit down, brother. Dad and uh, uh, Alfie Smallbladder, but that's a different. Uh, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't talk about him. But, but I, I love that. And I want. I went to the funeral of one of them. There was a guy who used to go with his son, and uh, his son phoned me up. He got my, you know. So I got, you know, how you doing, man? My dad died, and I said it was uh, in the close season. I said it's a shame. And he said, "Look, if you want to come along," and I went, and it was it was really weird. It was, but it was lovely because it was like I don't know you. I didn't until I stood here and heard his heard the the, the vicar do the thing. I didn't know that was his second name. I know nothing about him, but I feel that I know him as well as anyone else because I would I've shared two hours every Saturday. I know things about him that you don't. I know that for some incredible reason, against all the odds, he hated Chris Bart Williams. <laughs> And I, I'm, and I remember I said that to someone the way, and they kind of didn't know what I meant. But I went. Now everyone else was knew that Chris Bartwell was here for a moment, and we must enjoy him because then he was going. But he, he, you know, would always say, "Nah, nah, there's something wrong there." And ultimately, of course, if you look at the world of football, he was right. There was, you know, Chris Bart Williams never fulfilled his potential. We've had a running thing on on the people writing in about Chris Bart Williams because there's a rumor. Have you? Well, there's a rumor. I don't know who it started with that he had size five feet. You and also, he, and he, also, he never used to do his shoelaces up. He never did them up. Yeah. Oh well, I can believe that because he certainly had a, there were there was an oddity about him. <laughs> Did you think at the time this guy is going to play? Uh, for- the, the, this is the other wonder, of course, about lower league football. If you're a Man City fan, it must be difficult. 
you know, okay, oh yeah, Phil Foden, he's great. But basically, everyone who's placed in front of every meal that is put in front of you has been uh, is is a Michelin meal. Yeah, you know, there's a. But what happens if you go to low league football? If you go to the Orient, particularly, is that you 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 go in, you buy you 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 stand at the back because we five of us have permission. We stand at the back, we put our tea on our Harry bows on the little dirty shelf where the cat lives. <laughs> And the match unfolds, and of course we love it, and of course we're passionate about it. But we chat sometimes, and you know we can. It's going on. We we can if the ball's there, we know it's not going to be the other end soon, so we can. <laughs> we can chat. But occasionally, and probably three or four times uh, in in all those years, you've suddenly stopped and thought, "Oh, wait a minute." Uh, we, we need to watch this because this isn't going to last long. Uh, Kevin Campbell. Oh, really? We were, yeah. we were desperately needed a last push. I can't remember the year, but we needed a last push for promotion, which no lower league club ever does until Bournemouth came along with their Russian money. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why we thought it was Russian, but uh, if, if 10 games to go, if, if you need eight wins, now. Nah, because we always say directors won't do that. Why would they put? Why would they take that risk with their yeah. money? Because if it doesn't come off, then they're going to be bankrupt. You know, they're going to be short next season. But we got uh, Kevin Campbell came from the Arsenal on loan, and it was I think it was I don't know a handful again, maybe ten games. But every single one of them was something funny happened where you just thought this literally is men against boys. Only it's the boy that is better than yeah. all the men because he was so he was bigger. He was quicker. Everything he did was just better. It was like it was like one of the, it was like when the teacher had come into the playground and said, "Come on, lads, I'll have a kick." Around. <laughs> <laughs> and it's strange that because Kevin Campbell kind of was a good Premier League player, but you had, yeah, you had Harry Kane, didn't you? On loan, we love Harry. He's like a god to us because he, he, you know, he sponsored our kit for this this year. He oh, really? Our, yeah, he's our sole sp- uh, kit sponsor, and all the sponsors carry the message of thanks to the NHS. Oh, and wow. the home workers and people like that. So he's a wonderful man. Uh, but in fact, we had him and we had Tommy Carroll, but we also had Andros Townsend on loan. And Andros Townsend was far and away the best of the, the low knees. Oh, really? Well, without a shadow of a doubt. Harry was a good, we knew Harry would score goals, yeah. not necessarily in the, in the Premier League, but he always looked like he was a lad who was going to, you know, the big lad who knew where the goal was. But uh, Andros Townsend was, was far and away. The better, and maybe Tommy Carroll was a bit better than as well. Do you think that's because Andros Townsend, the way he plays, is like obviously it's more individual, it's more skillful, whereas Harry yeah. Kane is relying on service, I suppose. Yes, it's easier on the eye, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> he does think. I mean that. I, I mean that would be the, the other thing about lower league fans. We don't. We are not as discerning. Yes, there's no. <laughs> There's no question about it. Again, when you come to the Michelin meal, if you're a Premier League fan, then you notice nuance and you notice positional play and what he does off the ball. We're not in it because, because we're not watching what's happening off the ball. <laughs> All we're watching is where the ball is. That's, that's, you know, it's, a different, it's a different world. So maybe we didn't notice the, the nuance. Having said that, he, he seems to, and, if, he, and if, it's, if it's a genuine long-term thing, it, I think it will be changed. Uh, international football for us. He seems to have developed the knack now of of providing rather than just taking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which would be, if it's true and it is happening, then it will be the most incredible thing. But um, 
Yeah, there's yeah, the, it is it is kind of nice. <laughs> I remember when when uh, Jeff Pike came. Jeff Pike is one of the I many many Jeff players. Pike. Used to play for West Ham. Oh, Jeff Pike, West Ham. We get a lot of West Ham. We've had Alvin Martin, Les Seedy was in goal for a while for us. But when, I remember once Jeff Pike came and he had the ball in the the opposite. No, in in our half near the goal line. And I think he turned and went past someone, and then he hit this lovely eighty yard ball, which went over the field, bounced twice, and then rolled out of play. And we and everyone, what? What was that? Your mug? What was that your muppet? And then you you could look at me, and it was like, oh, of course, someone would have been there. <laughs> <laughs> In the world you're visiting from, Alan Devonshire would have been there, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, well, Bob, it's like spotting that kind of nuance that made you famous, and then the ninety famous nineties iconic program in bed with Medina. You you often had great nineties football clips on there. The one I always remember, the Bobby Gould one, I don't know if you recall, but a reporter goes down to the Wimbledon kind of (laughs) training ground to have a go at Bobby Gould and Vinnie Jones and the dynamic changes and suddenly Bobby Gould almost kidnaps the reporter. Well, Bobby Gould, uh, first he says, get out, you can't be in here. This is is a private, you're not allowed here. And the guy says, well, mate, I'm sorry. It's a park, you know, if I want to come out and come here. Uh, and then Bobby goes, yeah, he does. He then says, right, well, stay here. You're not going anywhere. No, I've, I've finished what I'm doing now. No, you're not going anywhere. And I think he let his tyres down. I think yeah, Bobby let his tyres down. Wow. So that he couldn't leave. He was calling the police. It was, uh, yeah, there was, there was some nice stuff on that show. Did you do many football clips apart from that? Did you? Not really. We didn't do football clips themselves. We did, uh, like, documentaries. We, yeah, yeah. We, we we did documentaries. It it was made basically. I get all the credit for it, but it was it, there were three guys I had working for me uh, <laughs> on, on minimum wage. Guys, de- working experience. I get desperate for a job in telly. Who've all gone on to to do quite good things in television, um, but they were sent down into the library because this is something people of your age won't understand. They used to be underneath uh, LWT and underneath the BBC, massive, great big libraries like the mm. Vatican, full of videotapes. <laughs> and their job was to walk along the, 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 the rows. And if they saw a title which intrigued them, not if it said, you know, oh, a belly full of laughs, and forget that. We went <laughs> a, but any title that intrigued them, they should take it out and have a look through it. And if they thought there'd be something in it, they would give it to me, and I would then, uh, I, w- I would watch them. So there were doc, yeah, there was a, there was documentaries. There was the Bobby Gould one. There was another one that I think Danny Baker made about non-league football, uh, Sunday football. So there, were, yeah, it was things, yeah, it was things that people thought, oh, people will want to see this. Yeah, and then it was like, no, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will, we will come obviously because it's late and orient in the nineties to a documentary that everyone did see but before then let's go to the start of the 90s so so in the 80s whether or not you were you were in division three um you've at the start of the 90s just been promoted through the playoffs where would you would you say that's kind of Leighton Orient's natural position yes immediately that is yes I feel very strongly and I get in a lot of trouble And I say that one of the problems with, with English football, British football, English football today, is the fact that the Premier League has become the sun. Mm. You know, it's become an all and too many football teams look at it and get and you know and get carried away with it, and they, and they fly to it, and they invest far too much money in a desperate bid to get to it. Whereas, if they just 
And I, I, I <laughs> so, so pragmatic. If people were just happier where they were, <laughs> some teams are and have always been second, third, or fourth division teams. Yeah. So, it, it, I mean, I'm not saying it's, of course, that's what it is. That's the way it is now. It has to be like that. But I feel that uh, under Barry Hearn, people. People used to have a go at Barry Hanford describing us as a little late Norian, but I think he knew what he was doing. You know, we had that one glorious day at Wembley when we were 2 0 up at half time to get us to get us into the championship, which we then blew and, and plummeted after that. But I'm not sure what it would have done for us to get into the championship, because I think people would have you know, money money would have been borrowed. And yeah. money would have been, you know, and spent. And I, I, so I worry about That's that. That's what happened to Plymouth. When we were in the championship in the kind of mid-2000s, we overspent, and it 10 years it took us to recover. So at the start of the 90s. Okay. Well, I, I, I remember that we'd, we'd, we'd just come up. Yeah. We'd had the famous Wrexham playoff and the, the helicopter with... Um, what was the helicopter? Oh, the, the, the best player I've ever seen play for Orient is Alan Comfort. Hmm. He was he was a wonderful player, proper winger, really great player, and he had had no idea that we were going to get into the playoffs, obviously, and uh, had arranged his marriage. <laughs> <laughs> he arranged his marriage, but after the season, I'm sure his fiance said, "No, this isn't going to clash. No, darling, it's three weeks after the season's finished. No, well, it'd be lovely. We'll get married, go off on holiday, and of course." But we got through to the playoffs and it was two legged and we, we, we had to play Wrexham. And the, the second leg was on the, basically the day of his marriage. So I think he, he, he might have, must have changed the times or something. He must have done something, but uh, they gave him a helicopter. Oh, and what? so after the second leg, he then got in a helicopter and, and went off to get married. So then Rightler Star, let's talk about Rightler Star of the 90s. Right, you get a few famous people come through those famous corridors. Firstly, Frank Clark. What were your what are your memories of that man? Yeah, that was great. Frank Clark, who you know, who was a I mean, he wasn't a big a big deal manager, Frank Clark. He'd been a big player, you know, when yeah. he was a player, but he was exactly right to manage this because he was gruff. He won't gruff. <laughs> If you can't get a Scotsman, just go as north as you can. <laughs> <laughs> and Frank, Frank never said out to anyone. He just said, uh, just got his point across very quietly like that. Uh, and he was a clerk, of course, which is in those days it was the name to have as a footballer because <laughs> there was about thirty-seven of them playing. They used to have they used to have big fights with the Allens on street corners. There so many of them. <laughs> And apparently, um, Frank, Frank Clark, I don't know if you heard this, but he's a great laugh on a night out. Apparently, he's like a real... Uh, yes, I've heard that he's I, wonderful. It's surprising. Yeah. That, it's not how you'd imagine him. No, apparently apparently Steve Bruce can tell the odd joke now and again, so you never know what people are like. <laughs> but yes. he was very dour, and he and he did exactly what you have to do in, in that level of football, is you have to organise. You know, that's something else that you learn. Uh, it, it's kind of a gift that you learn watching lower league football, which then once you, when you watch Premier League football and you watch all these magnificent footballers, these global stars, and you think, why aren't they organised? No one's organised them. They've got no shape. Yeah, Messi, yeah, by all means, Messi, but he got no shape. He never gets back, he can't cover, you never see him covering. But, and, and he organised us to cover and organised us to do all the right things and, and, and got, us, uh, got us promoted. Um, and he also, you see, but then the blot on his copybook is the Chris Bart Williams 
block because he Chris Bart Williams came through and then went to uh, I think he went to Forrest he, yeah. who had been and I think there was definitely a Frank Clark connection there with that. You don't want to stay here somewhere these lot. <laughs> <laughs> They've won European Cups, these two. You come with me. And, and and he went. But it was people forget the nineties started okay. My memory yeah. of the nineties, and I was I was probably wasn't going every week during the nineties because it was my busiest time. That's a terrible reminder. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was doing lots of stuff. But it was it didn't start badly. I think we just missed you know promotion about 92 93 or something like that we've done pretty well we were doing all right uh and there were some good players there decent you know players there was a player who ended up being a kind of going to plymouth who was one of the best players i've ever seen at plymouth called steve castle ah oh, well he was Phenomenal. he was the heart of that team mm. he was absolutely the heart of the team steve castle that's the other thing no that isn't just a lower league thing because frank lampard steve gerrard every now and again you see a player who is the daddy, you know, yeah, and you know, and and, and they're not the best player in the, in, on on the pitch, but everyone around them is better because he's telling you know players that tell people what to do and make fr- make people frightened if they don't do it, that sort of thing. Uh, so, so he would he go to Plymouth? Yeah, so he went to us. This is a sign of the times because, like now, obviously the the fees at the top have inflated, but there's just no fees at these lower level now. Plymouth don't pay for a player. We paid. 225 grand for him which is a lot of money in those days but we had quite there was when peter shilton became our manager who we will come to another crossover but like um he came to plymouth and he was he's a superb kind of goal scoring midfielder really wasn't he? yeah an excellent player i mean don't forget there are some excellent players in the lower leagues uh, some of them go on, and you know Vardy and people like that, mm. Bob, Bobby McMinn and people like Ted McDoodle, they go on and, and have their chance. Many of them don't because there is, uh, and it, it gets wider and wider. I'm very lucky now in that I, I, I get to work with, one of my other jobs, I get to work with footballers. And, mm. you know, they, they tend to be nice people. And they, and they talk about this, the gap that is, you know, sometimes you, someone will phone in and say, oh, I'll see this bloke playing for He's rubbish. And it's like, if you had any idea how good you have to be yeah. to even get in a – to become number 59 in a squad in the in the English Premier League, <laughs> you have to be one yeah. of the best thousand players in the world. You know, it's, it's just – it's an incredible uh, gap between that and the championship and then down in, in League Two. But there is – if you, if you look at the, the, the bottom two divisions as their own world, then within that, there are some players who are really, really good. Steve Castle was certainly one of them. And, and the great tragedy at that time in the early 90s is we had two defenders, uh, John Sitton and Terry Howard. Mm. And they were brilliant. And they worked together. One of the things they had was this wonderful chemistry. They knew each other of old and they were mates and they, they worked together. And... and what that looked like was that looked like the central defense, the defensive partnership that would that would get us, you know, progressors. And but of course, it was the seeds of our own destruction. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. for a few weeks, you're kind of pretty, a few years, pretty stable. Yeah, club. two or three years, we're okay. Yeah. And then you know, we dis- got some odd, odd signings, but yeah, okay. Disaster strikes financially for the club because of the uh, war and genocide in Rwanda. 
Is that a fair summation of yes. the situation? No, that is that is absolutely one hundred percent. Never has an international uh, conflagration been so closely linked to a to a lower league football team. <laughs> yes, because well, uh, Tony Woods had been a he was you know he's a big football man. He'd been the director of Arsenal. He was you know a serious football man. And he had taken over uh, Orient not not that long ago, about five or six years he'd been in charge, and he'd, he'd put them on a steady course, and you know things were looking looking good again with ambition, but not ridiculous ambition. Mm. I think he felt that we could be a good, you know, tier three football team, sniping at the others in cups and things like that, and 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 maybe after him he would someone would inherit a team that could go even further. But he was very sensible businessman. We knew who he was, but those are the days when the chairman of the football team was just a name on, you know, on the on the on the program. Mm. And he didn't live in, in he lived in Rwanda. And um, what happened there? I mean, this is another weird thing because basically, from my point of view, what happened was that our chairman went came over here to a, to a family wedding, and when he went back, he got to the airport, and they said, "Sorry, town, <laughs> it's all gone, mate." No, I own 50 million pounds worth of coffee plantation. Yeah, about that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, you know, it's funny. In fact, what what had actually happened was, was because this is a weird thing, because of that, people, there's, there is a generation of Leighton Orient fans who know about Rwanda. Because <laughs> well, it's just... Because they're saying, what's going on? Well, give us the paper. No, one of the big ones. Maureen, get, get one of the big ones when you go to the shop. What's, what's going on here? How do you spell R-A-A? Oh, no, there's no A. It's just R-W. And we learned that it was one of the most horrific incidents uh, of the 20th century. Hmm. And, you know, when you think there were, there were two world wars in that time, it's, it's quite the same. But it was. And when you look into it, there is no... Uh, other reason for all the war than one group of people wanting to completely destroy another group of people. There was no uh, land dispute. There was there was no political dispute. There was no. Uh, the, the, when you read about it, there are two statements that, that stick out. One, which is uh, a, a telegram that was sent to the State Department from the uh, from the White House, presumably from the uh, President Chief of Staff, saying, uh, "Urgent, please advise." Is it Hutu and Tutsi or Hutsi and Tutu? Because that's how, you know, weird it was to them. And the other was that for the first three weeks of it, they were getting these figures and they were saying, There's, what's happening there must be... I'm surprised we're not get, we're not hearing more from the neighbours because the war that's going on there must be so huge. And by the way, where are they getting all their arms from? Because... You know, we're getting these figures, reliable figures, that 10, 20, 30, now 40,000 people have died. So these battles must be huge, you know, uh, without realising there were no battles. There were just men with, with farmyard implements, basically. Jeez. And it wasn't, the, 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 these weren't either side of a battle there were people. These, these were just one people that were being driven and slaughtered. It's a, Honestly, it's the most... Uh, I don't know how we're going to get from this back to well, the night we've been <laughs> Well, so Tony Wood, his, his income's coming from Rwanda suddenly. He's everything, been, now he's so got he nothing. He's been everything. And he's been funding Orient for years, right? I mean, he's been topping it up, and suddenly yeah. the, the cash tap is off. And and there was a there was a 
period of about a month where he was getting criticism because people were saying, oh, hang on a minute. He's just he's losing a bit of money, so he's he's trying to pull that. And then and then he made a statement saying, "No, listen to me. I have no money. Wow. I have absolutely nothing. I cannot give you anything." And we were and, and that's when they had the girls with the with the, the sheets and blankets walking around at halftime and people throwing throwing money Cash. into the yeah to to pay the wages. Well, he was lucky to escape with his life, wasn't he? As well, like well, he. he he was lucky that it was away, although, you know, he did return there. He eventually lived there. He died, in, you know, in the, about 80 years old, still living there because he loved the country. He wasn't, you know, he oh, was seen. Um, nowadays, he would never hope in hell they'd be pulling his statues down. But in fact, he loved the country and he loved the people and he went back to do what he could to help them, to help them rebuild. And into this chaotic scene entered John Sitton <laughs> with a documentary crew oh, in town. No, well, hang on a second now. Let's be... <laughs> He didn't. He didn't enter with a documentary. No. He entered yeah. with the best will in the world. Of course, How, we we, could, we weren't going to get a manager. Mm. I mean, don't forget, we, there was a lot. There's a lot of people who, oh yeah, man, my second team. Or, I love Orion. You know, in the seventies, we could have put a team together with Ray Wilkins, Peter Shilton, Martin Ling, Alvin Martin, Stan Bowles would play for the Orion. They're oh lovely East London club. When they went completely bust, they had no money at all. You couldn't. You literally couldn't give the job away. It's as simple as that. And Sitton was the the shouter on the pitch. He was the man who organised people on the pitch, and he didn't have the experience at all. But he was the, literally the only man there, and he took the job uh, always in partnership with Chris Turner. Chris yeah. Turner gets out of this very yeah, very lively. By the way, he really does. He <laughs> really really does. I'd watched the documentary a few years ago, and then when I came to like read about Orient, I was like, "Oh, John Sitton was the joint manager." I, I had no idea that that was the yeah that was the case. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen 12 Angry Men, the, the uh, Tony Ancott one with Sid James. Mm. He's Sid James in that, sitting behind, uh, in, in the in the jurors, but sitting behind Ancott going, why don't you object? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't think I can. Of course you can. That other fellow in the wigs objecting. Why don't you? He was... Or the kid in the playground, are you going to let him talk to you like that? <laughs> <laughs> you, were you aware the documentary was being filmed? No, no, no idea. No, I, uh, because it wasn't a thing then, was it? There no. Wasn't a thing yeah. of doing documentaries. Uh, and when you when you speak to John Sitton, he's, un, you know, unrepentant. He said, I thought it would be a good thing. I thought it might. Of course. You know, remind people of our plight and remind people that yeah. we were still here and that we were working hard. Because the woman that um, did the documentary, I was reading about her and it was like she kind of regrets it. It Like she's quite upset about it because she didn't mean to, the story to be this kind of taken in the way it was. She thought it was about the plight of, you know, this club that's in serious financial trouble and this manager that's doing his best. And the narrative that come has come out to be remembered is obviously kind of not that at all, really. No, it's, it, I mean, it's, if you look at some of the books, like uh, uh, Gary Nelson with Left Foot Forward mm. and Left Foot in the Grave and things like that, when he, he's, he goes to talk here, it's not your yeah, mom, yeah. he goes, no, he goes talk to talk here. And it's life and, and uh, there's a Halifax town one, Kicking in the Wind. They all told the same story. But obviously, they told it with an editor behind them saying, "Yeah, don't say that word. No, don't don't mention that." Uh, whereas what you got in the documentary was, I mean, I believe when you speak to f- footballers about it, they they will tell you, "Yeah, I've been in dressing rooms like that. 
Yeah, yeah. That's not, not, that, that is not an unusual dressing room. In the lower league, it's not unusual for a manager. I'm sure that Barry Fry at some point would have said, if you don't do what, you, what I tell you to do, I'm going to take behind the side, I'm going to, I'm going to beat you up. You know, the, <laughs> But the fact is the cameras are there. No one had seen anything like that before. And poor old John got <laughs> forever. I mean, he's never worked since, bless him. What I'll say to you about good players, they want to be good players all the time. Don't you know how profound that is if you're not examining the fucking words? Because you've had two good performances and you think, I'm fucking Bertie Big Bollocks tonight. I'll fucking play how I like. But you won't play how you like, because if you play how you like, I'll fucking stick the youth to you. So if I'm going to take abuse from a bunch of cockroaches behind you, I'll take abuse by doing it my way. And that is fucking conformity, not fucking non-conformity. So you, you little cunt, when I tell you to do something, and you, you fucking big cunt, when I tell you to do something, do it. And if you come back at me, we'll have a fucking right sort out of here. All right? And you can pair up if you like, and you can fucking pick someone else to help you, and you can bring your fucking dinner. Because by the time I'm finished with you, you'll fucking need it. Do you fucking hear what I'm saying or not? You see me in the morning. Do, do you know, do, have you kind of come across John? I've, I've spoken to John sitting on, on a couple of occasions. Never really about anything. I've never, it's never been an interview. He, sometimes he'll be on Talk Sport years ago. But he's, he was very bitter about, you know, about the way he was treated. Mm. Because, in fact, all he was doing was reflecting what was going on at the club. Yeah. You know, and if people had looked a little bit deeper, I mean, the fact is, the, the best player we had at the club was, was Terry Howard. Yeah, and uh, he was the one who was sacked at half time, hmm. and and Johnson, I'm sure, will tell you he wasn't being any worse than any of the others. It's just that he could sack him at half time because he was on a, a weekly contract. Yeah, and he was on a weekly contract because he was holding out for an extra ten or a week petrol money. <laughs> yeah. Divas, we, divas which these believe, lower league players. I believe it was the stumbling block in the whole Neymar Paris Saint Germain <laughs> thing as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there is a reason for everything that happens in that document. And when you watch him, I think football fans, when they see that, watch it and think, yeah, well, that, that's how I feel sometimes. When I'm watching these people, that's what I would like to say to them. Mm. I would like to, you know, my blood vessels to stand out and I'd like to actually threaten them to come and meet me and bring their mothers and bring their dinners because I... <laughs> Did you do you remember it coming? Because if if I was a fan of Leighton Orient and suddenly I'd been reading the Radio Times and it said an hour long documentary about Leighton Orient, I bet you couldn't believe your luck, could you? Do you remember it coming out or? Well, I remember. I think. I think it sort of leaked out first. I think that we knew there was going to be a documentary. Oh, well, that'd be interesting. I don't know what it'll be about. But then people started to say, oh, "I don't think it's good." <laughs> I think they've done a hatchet job, which is why I'm sure the girl who made it was the lady who made it would have been upset because I don't think she set out to make no. a hatchet job. But it became a hatchet job, basically, on, on, on that one. And it made the club look. That's what the club, you know, that's why the club banned him. That's why he was never allowed, because he'd portrayed them in a bad... You know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. They say, oh, what he did was he portrayed Orient in a ridiculous light. That's because Orient were ridiculous at the time. <laughs> 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 I think they were, you know, they were they were tending people literally with sheets and towels, saying throw spare change in. Oh, and how was that going time. down? How was how much money were you throwing in at that? Like, were you throwing money in at half time? And bit of the Haribo next year. 
Yeah, well, it was difficult for me because I was doing telly at the time and people were watching. <laughs> no, people were literally going to the going to the downstairs and getting their teas and pies, giving a five and getting like eight sixty pence change or whatever, and ch- chucking their change in. Wow, because it it was it was that bad. They literally had no money. Did you and, think and, the club was going to disappear? Yeah, there was definitely a feeling at the time, uh, up until um, Barry Hearn coming in, that it was that it was going to disappear. And then there was a you know things were bright for about six months, and then they take over again. There's never there's never a good time at a, yeah, a team yeah. or and there's always some wonderful conspiracy theory. And on the pitch, you go something like two years without winning away from home. I think that sitting season you finished 24 points from safety, eight games without scoring. How was that to live through as a fan? Yeah, not a problem, to be honest. <laughs> no, honestly, I remember I didn't go, probably didn't go to every home game that season, but I probably went to most of them. And eventually you just you don't expect to win. But you see, this is the great thing. If you're again, if you're a fan of Manchester City and you lose a game, it's the end of the world. But yeah. if you're a fan of Leighton Orient, every game you might get something out. And sometimes you go a goal down and then you get a goal back and then everything's great. We we was one nil down, now we're one now we've got a point. And then someone would nick a winner. Sometimes you get thrashed, sometimes they played really, really well and just, you know, couldn't get a win. But, I mean the, the, the you have to understand, whatever was happening at the club, there was good players there. And we were playing teams on exactly the same level. So it wasn't like we were playing, you know, we, we weren't uh, Mallorca playing, you know, Barcelona and Real yeah. Madrid. We were playing teams and very often we matched them and it's just, you know, we, we only got a point or we didn't, we got beat. But it, it, it never felt, oh, we're the worst team in the world. Yeah. <laughs> There's, a, like, to put, I was reading the John Sitton's Wikipedia. And this kind of puts in perspective the situation he was in. So he had to work in six different roles within the club whilst on the youth coach salary. The squad size was cut in half. The club was on the verge of liquidation with the PFA playing the players' wages yeah. for several months whilst Tony Wood tried to sell the club. That's not remembered that he was... It, no. Like the Graham Taylor documentary is called The Impossible Job. But this is the one documentary that's the impossible job, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that that is the, the the upsetting thing, really, and that's the thing that I hope one day people people will t- turn turn around a little. Although he doesn't, you know, he doesn't moan about it, John Sitton. He gets on with his life, drives his cab, and speaks freely now without anyone telling him what he can or can't. I'd absolutely say. love to get into his cab. But I'd he, love to get into John Sitton's <laughs> cab so much. <laughs> well, my, my two favourite quotes of his were, were the people he'd had in his cab. Uh, I can't remember who the first one was. Oh, I tell you, yeah, it was was Alan Pardew. Pardew <laughs> got in the back of my cab, tried to patronise me, telling me about, oh, I remember when we were together in the training courses. No, he don't. <coughs> uh, but Mourinho got him and he told him who he was. And he said it was brilliant. They were just talking about football, you know, and how hard it is to manage a football team. But he's, yes, you're right. He was earning no money. He was probably on 30 quid a week. Back then? Yeah. Yeah, that's probably what a youth team coach got. Expenses, really. And he was doing all these things, and he was single-handedly trying to trying to keep his club together. And what led to that, you see, what led to that half-time thing is, and this is what, I've, what you, he is most passionate about, and I would be most passionate about, all he was saying to them was, why don't you do what I would do? 
I can't do it anymore because I'm a, a few years too old and my legs can't do it. Mm-hmm. But why aren't you running back and tackling? Why aren't you running into space? Why aren't you, when you lose the ball, why don't you chase after the guy? Why don't you bring him down if you can't get it off him? Why aren't you doing any of these things? Why have you stopped caring? And yeah. they were there like, well, look at the state of the place. And he said, yeah, yeah I, I am the state of the place. That, <laughs> but I'm doing it. Why aren't, you know, that, I think that was his. Was he like you know, a, a legend at the club then as a player? Well, yeah, well, he was, yeah, he was a really good player. He was a, he was a good, solid. And he gave, again, and this is, you know, <laughs> this is a lower league thing, but we love, we love 100%. Yeah. And he gave 100%. And it's just, no one has ever been criticised at Leighton Orient. I promise you, no one's ever been criticised for not being skillful enough, <laughs> for, not, for not having enough vision, for not, for not using the channels properly. No one... Uh, people, people get chay-hired to the rafters for, for giving up on a, on, on a ball yeah. going out. Yeah. yeah, you know, even if when they get it, they have to slide and keep it in because they're on their backs. It's actually fallen to the opposition winger and has been in the, doesn't matter. They still they still tried. So in comes a knight in shining armor, mid nineties. Barry Hearn of Matchroom Snooker and Boxing. Where where do you stand on Barry Hearn? I love Barry Hearn. He's great. <laughs> it does feel Barry. like a good match, doesn't it? Yeah, I love him. I've I've had the the, the great joy of, of of meeting him on a number of occasions, uh, and, and I love him because he came into the club with with his eyes wide open, absolutely wide open, and he saw what the situation was. And at the first fan zone, <laughs> where the fans come, you know, fans forum, yeah, we're going to go talk to her and see what's going on. He say he, he sat on this chair on the stage, and somebody said, "Fat Terry" or someone said. Uh, my mate works in the city and he rings, you're an asset stripper. And Barry Hearn said, well, if I'm an asset stripper, I need my ass kicking because <laughs> you ain't got no assets at all. <laughs> all your assets have been stripped long, long ago. You have nothing. And also the secretary came to him in the third or fourth week and said, could you sign this? What is it? It's for the, uh, it's to pay for the, the coach to travel up to wherever they were playing, maybe somewhere in the Midlands or somewhere. And he sort of said, so leave it with me. And then he, he came back and said, how many points did we get on the road last year? And they said, three. And he said, right. This is the deal. When we've got 15, they can start going on coaches and staying overnight. Until then, they leave here at 6 o'clock in the morning, and as soon as they finish playing, they drive back to London because no one's staying overnight. There's no hotels, nothing like that, until they've earned it. Because he he did exactly that, and what he left us eventually, and listen, you'll hear completely different things from other, oh, yeah, yeah, he still owns the ground. He, He made millions out of that club. The one thing I know for a fact is that he, he stopped being director and the owner of Leighton Orient because Eddie, who was mm. taking over the business, he at, at one point he said to him, Dad, I cannot keep walking into rooms with international hedge fund managers and shareholders and showing them these projections for the boxing and the snooker and the darts and all this money's made and having some little nerds say, just one thing, Eddie, this three million pounds a year, what is it with you, Dad? Drugs, prostitutes, what is it? Because it's it's disappearing and it's like, no. He's addicted to a little football club in East London. Because <laughs> he was literally throwing this money away. Yeah. 
Because if you if you if, you know if you run a football team like Lake Norton, you have to accept that you are sometimes just going to throw good money after bad. Oh. He's a really having met him. Um, I did a fighting talk which he was on. I don't know if you're on that one. And he yeah. he's so when he walks in the room, he's such a charismatic kind of force and such a kind of yeah. Uh, you know, you know when you meet these people that are kind of just impressive. Do you know what I mean? They kind of yes. control the room and they've got that charisma. He's really something else to meet. When he, I am in my sixties, right, and still one of the one of the biggest thrills I have in my life is is if I'm somewhere and Barry Hearns there. He says, "Hello, Bobby boy." <laughs> <laughs> I sound like a little girl. <laughs> the, another amazing thing that happened at Orient in the 90s was you played, to go back to Bobby Gould, you played Wales in a friendly yeah. in 1996. So they were warming up for San Marino. Did you go to this? Yes, I, I went to the, here's one of my proudest things. Hmm. Uh, and I know I'm not a lifelong fan. Yes, I know. <laughs> I haven't got the tattoo. I have seen uh, Wales, Sierra Leone. Yeah. Who played Sierra Leone. Uh, Leon, Leroy Rossini brought, he was the manager, and he brought Sierra Leone down. And I've also, in my memory, I'm sure it was uh, a night match, seen the smallest catchment area for a football team get a one-all draw against the biggest which is when we drew one all with India. <laughs> now, head head to head, that's a pretty. <laughs> it's not bad going. No, it's not right. You pick, you pick your best eleven, and we'll pick up, <laughs> and we'll see how big you are. And we drew one all with, with India. It's because I grew up in East London, so my understanding of like international friendlies is coloured by the fact that Leighton Orient were playing countries a lot in the mid to late nineties, and it yeah, was all started it was... by Bobby Gould. Well, I'll tell you why. We've always had, even when we have another, we, our, our stadium now, by the way, is beautiful because, as well as the flats, if you come down Oliver Road, the front of it is certainly uh, no names, no pack drill, but. It's certainly a match for Everton, which is, you know, if you've ever been to Everton, yeah, you know, aren't they a lovely old team? Yeah, but come on. You know, you can be a lovely old woman, but every now and again you change your dress <laughs> and take the curlers out your hair. Whereas ours is a really beautiful modern yeah. fascia, you know, front of house, as it were. Uh, round the back it gets a little bit dustier, but it, it's a beautiful looking stadium. But even when we have no that, we've always had one of the best pitches. Charlie Hassler, who was our groundsman, was was um, groundsman of the year. They just gave him the trophy, basically, at the start of the season. So you might as well have this again, Joe. <laughs> because uh, where, where where we are, Leighton and, and the sort of marshes and things like that, the drainage is perfect. In fact, it, it, only, it only started getting bad when they built the new stand because apparently that affects the amount of sunlight it gets. And But, but for many, many years, it was the perfect pitch. So teams... Big teams love playing there. Yeah. You know, you weren't going to get injured. You weren't going to twist your ankle like you would do at the Shea or, you know, Roots Hall or somewhere like that. So, we, we yeah, I think that's uh, that's why we've always had really, really good Were friendlies. they fun games to go to? Yeah. You see, I don't like friendlies uh, in general because I only like going to football if I care. Mm. You know, yeah. I want to... <laughs> 
But the Arsenal ones, we we played Arsenal, we played Tottenham every you know every other season for for many years. They would always bring a team down there because again because the pitch is good. We used to get great friendlies at Argyle because we're, the teams would come and train at the military. Uh, okay, and so we, we had Rude Hullet's debut for Chelsea. We had various kind of it's and it's exciting, isn't it? It's really exciting yes. to have those players there. Yeah, we played Arsenal once. Uh, and Bergkamp played. So whenever he arrived, I don't know if he arrived in the close season or at the end of a season, but he, he was in the team for this friendly. And a lot of uh, very, very good Frenchmen were playing and a lot of talented young players. It was a really good team. And they were playing just to work themselves back into fitness. And what we had was our core squad plus a lot of uh, uh, trainees and, and trialists who were giving it 200%, bashing into everything. And it was a really, really good game. And they beat us, I think they beat us 3-1 or something like that. And in about November, December of that year, it was half time, and we were in the stand and, and Alfie actually said, did you see the Arsenal game at the weekend? That Burkamp goal? He's got to be the best footballer on the planet at the moment, I think. And someone said, Really? I thought we made him look quite pedestrian. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're judged solely by how you perform against well, us. You, you had quite a few world famous players come down. Fair to say, at the uh, tail end of their career, World Cup semi finalist Peter Shilton at the tender age of 47. Was he, but what was does he it look 47? like? What does it look like to have a 47 year old goalkeeper? Well, Listen, it was a great bit of PR because Barry Hearn's a showman, all right? Boxing, uh, darts, all that. It's showmanship. That's what he revels in. Uh, And it had come to his attention. There was a reason for it. It had come to his attention that Peter Shilton was, I think, three games short of a major milestone. It was a thousand league appearances. It was a thousand league. He was three or four games short of it. So he contacted Peter and said, Peter, surely you must want to play those last three games. Why don't you? Why don't you come down and, and play them for us? And it, it seemed to be, you know, it suited everyone. It suited absolutely yeah. everyone. We presumed that that was why Peter was doing it. We later found out he needed the money. But <laughs> he, <laughs> how much? Sixty? Yeah. But he came down, and they and and Barry had all the TV people there. Uh, but for all his is Barry's great finesse. Of course, you you can't polish it. <laughs> And so we started off with a red carpet and the red carpet was rolled out and the red carpet was rolled out and the music started and then the music stopped. The end of it's all blowing out. It's gone all scruffy. <laughs> so they rolled out again and in the end, Charlie Hassler, the groundsman, had to bring his, not his heavy roller, his light roller along the red carpet and park it in the end to stop it blowing up. <laughs> so Peter Sean actually made his entrance walking towards a piece of farming equipment. <laughs> And, uh, and he played, and I think he, he played his last three games. Ah, I don't think you have to be really, do you, to keep? <laughs> I mean, don't get me started on goalkeepers. It's another passion of mine that's got me in huge, huge trouble when they played seventy million for because I think it's nonsense. I genuinely, genuinely think it's not something I say to, to you know. It's not clickbait. I genuinely think if you get any fourteen, fifteen-year-old boy who's the right physique and spend dedicate a year, two years, spend 50, 100 grand on him and just train him, you can have a world-class goalkeeper. 
because it's such a specialised specialised job. So I think if you if you're Peter Shaw, I, I think Peter Shaw now. I think anyone who's ever played in goal up to the age of sixty could play in the lower leagues because it's mainly about <laughs> mainly about you know, knowing. Do you yes, have to test that theory? You, Such you a shame we can't source as well. Out. So you had Lassini, yeah, Lassini played in goal for us and did very very well, very well for us. So it's, it, I think, uh, goalkeepers at 40, I don't think, are an unusual thing. No. At all. And another player you had at 40 was Ray Wilkins. Yeah, we had Ray. Was he good? Yeah, I think so. I, only saw, I think I saw him once. Hmm. I think I, saw, I never saw Stan Bowles. I never saw Laurie Cunningham, as they always remind me. <laughs> Sometimes what they'll do, this is our Schneid day, I'll just. Sometimes they'll be sitting there and they'll be having a conversation which doesn't involve Laurie Cunningham at all. <laughs> But one of them will say, yeah, Harry Bow. I mean, I don't know. I don't like the Sherbet Lemons. There's no, yeah, Sherbet. I think they were Laurie's favourites. Of course, you never saw Laurie, did you, (laughs) (laughs) You were probably watching Billy Dearden up at Chester, were you, when Laurie was... So I get that a lot. There was a player in the 90s. So I don't know. I've, I've never known in real life, but there was a computer game in the 90s called Championship Manager that a lot of people my age played. And one of the good players that you'd buy was a player who played for Leighton Orient called Bjorn Heidenstrom. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Was, I remember was that. He, he was phenomenal on that game. What was he like? Well, there was a, the, there's been others since, hasn't there, who've, because of the algorithms of the yeah. game, just happened to fill certain things. Yeah. But in fact, as, as footballers, they're... At best, mediocre. Yeah, and he wasn't. Uh, and no, he was no. I, I don't. I don't think he played often. You'd have to look at his. Uh, his thing. But he. But he was the sort of player we love. We loved him. We love. We love Vin Vyshots because they've got foreign names. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan Latoue, who Jonathan Toure, who, who of course scored the great goal of modern times, the the equaliser against the Arsenal, which took mm. us to the Emirates for the replay. He, you know, he was bombing around the lower divisions of the French League, came to us, became a god, and then disappeared and is now playing in Chad or somewhere like that. <laughs> you can, that's the other thing about the lower leagues, as opposed to you can become a legend. There are players that we could talk about and say, no, you, what, you don't know who he is, really? Oh, he's the greatest player who ever lived. You know, people like Gabriel Zakuani can go off and, waste their careers, you know, in, in, in other yeah. places. But they, they are still, you will always be a legend. At, at the well, there's club. certain clubs where it just falls into place, isn't there? And it just yeah. suddenly they're at the right club or they've got the right manager. And then, because you get these strikers that will be the top scorer in League Two for a uh, season and then it will just never happen again. Yeah. Well, also the other thing that happens is sometimes uh, at one point, the top two scorers in Scotland were Parkin... And Hopper, is it Hopper? Hooper? Hooper, yeah. I think it was Hooper and Bar. And, and they were, they were you know, dominating the, the Scottish football. And we'd had them both. And seriously, couldn't eat a cow's backside with a banjo. Absolute rubbish. But sometimes people go <laughs> yeah, somewhere and it just, just changes. There was a player you had called Steve Watts. Are you aware of this? Yeah. And he, yeah. did he yeah. win a competition it, or something? Is it Search for a Striker in the Sun? Search for a was... Striker, yeah. Which, by the way, Essex Essex County Cricket Club did, did search for did the Fast Bowler Challenge. Mm. You know, so it's not, it's not, we're not the only idiot scraping the battle. <laughs> but he did well. He had a good yeah, career. Yeah, so it worked. 
Yeah, he did, yeah. His girlfriend at the time was Casey Price, a.k.a. Jordan. So I wonder, no. they're going to be thinking, like, who would have been the most glamorous person you've seen at Brisbane Road? Obviously, the Lloyd Webber's connections, yourself, being a big TV hotshot mid-90s. Well, you, when you, you, when you go there? to re- reality TV, of course, we've got we've got um, Mark Wright. Oh. You know, Mark Wright's a big uh, thing, and, and so we, we, we're very in with the Essex crowd. They're, they're very... But um, I don't think we've ever had. I mean, Julian goes. Julian Lloyd Webber goes. Does Andrew Lloyd Julian... Webber ever go with him? Well, he's been to a couple. He's been to a couple. <laughs> and in fact, when Julian goes, it's always people are always like, hey, Julian, how lovely to. Yeah, he's a real fan. Why don't you bring your brother? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, but that's. So here we go. That sums up Late Norian Football Club. One of the wealthiest men that has ever drawn breath in this country. All right, without a shadow of a doubt, a a, a, a lord, you know, of the, mm. one of the highest titles in the land. His brother became a cellist, and he's the one that supports Orion. <laughs> <laughs> and it, thanks for that. You know, all that stuff, you know the you know the sort of the variations that, which became the the theme tune to um, South Bankshire, right? I know Julian, that that was written as part of a bet, right? Because his brother said, "I bet you can write something based on that." He said, "Yeah, of course I could." And he and it was dependent on the outcome of Orient's last game of the season. If they lost, he had to do it. Oh wow! So that's why he wrote that. So there's all that. I think so. He is, I guess, the most famous person. I met them both at. Uh, at a, I did a wonderful, one of the best gigs I've ever did was at the Dorchester. It was a corporate gig, and as you know, they can go very, very yes. ugly. But this was when we were flying high. It was before the playoffs, you know. It was the end of the season, before, and it was it was a huge gravy game. And they asked me to do it, and it was one of the best gigs I've ever did. And they were sitting right in the front, uh, so he's probably the most glamorous. Yeah, we've never gone down the Crystal Palace route. We've never had Fiona Richmond in the bath <laughs> or anything like that. It doesn't. It, it doesn't, doesn't kind of lend itself to that sort of. It doesn't lend itself to that sort of glamour. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because the ground is, is even now when it's beautiful, it, you know, and it's, it's the front of it's very nice, it's still, you walk down rows of houses. It's like the old Highbury, if you ever went to the old, yeah. when they were at Highbury. You, would, you, could, you could miss it. Yeah. You could literally hear it sometimes, Highbury. But where's the entrance? Because yeah. it, was, it was rows of houses uh, down three sides. And it's like that, the Orient. You can be very, very close to it and before you realise you're there. Did you, um, you, at the end of the 90s, you you got to the Wembley. Well, would it have been Wembley in 1999 or was it Cardiff? Or Well, we did two. We had the one at Wembley where crew beat us mm. with, that, with that wonderful uh, Spanish guy. Garcia, the guy oh, right. who played for yeah. the crew, uh, who, who's, who's written a book about it, about his the, the wonderful time when he went to England and became a, a footballer and played in this 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 one big game, this and then scored the goal, which took you know, and it's a brilliant book, but it's in Spanish. It's not it's not even been translated. That's how much crew care about the heritage. <laughs> been... uh, and then we went to Cardiff. Uh, and Blackpool, that was the big one, Blackpool, where we scored the fastest goal ever in a in a playoff final. What was that like? Uh, I mean, that must feel quite uh, surreal to score so quickly. Yeah, so quickly. And then we were we were bossing it. We were really bossing it. Uh, and then we got beat there. Of course, we lost that one. 
Do you consider the 90s a bad decade for Orion or just a normal decade for no, Orion? No, a normal one. Yeah, normal <laughs> one. <laughs> Despite, you know, but even when we dropped into the, 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 you know, the National League, even that was like, well, we, we'll give it a go. And we had, and if, if it had taken more than two years, then it would have been really bad. But we got back up yeah. and... You know, it happens. We don't... Existing. Existing, there you go. Existing in the lower leagues is 80% of the yes. battle. Yes, Did you go down? No. Well, there, there's there's your win right there. Well, last question. If you could go back to the 1st of January 1990 and live all that decade again with Orin, would you do it? Yes. Yes, of course I would. Of course I would, because it'd been... I was a lot younger. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was. Listen, it was a good. It was a good decade. We had some great players. I would do it again because right at the end of it, Matty Lockwood arrived, and that was like a new dawn, a new hope that this player had come to play for us. And still, I think the best player, uh, not the Alan Cover might be the best player I've seen, but I think Matty Lockwood is the best player we've ever had. Mm. So it's yeah, obviously, it, yes, of course I would, a hundred percent. Bob Mills, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you, Josh. That was Bob Mills talking about Leighton Orient. Absolutely amazing. Uh, if you want uh, an extended director's cut of that, it is available on the Patreon now. Yes, indeed. Head over to patreon.com forward slash quickly Kevin to sign up and get the extended version plus chapter three of Striker with Steve Bruce. Steve Bruce? Steve Bruce and Steve Ivo Bruce. Graham. That's how Steve McLaren pronounced it. <laughs> We've probably done the longest intro ever for Bob Mills. So, uh, Thank you for listening. You know how to get in touch. Do come back next week when we have the amazing John Robbins choosing his worst Liverpool 11 of the 90s. Absolutely brilliant. Um, Chris, how would you like to end this by saying? I think, as we always do, Robbie Slater, see you later. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.